uh, go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. We are about to unfold the story of Frankenstein, a man of science who sought to create a man after his own image without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest tales ever told. It deals with the two great mysteries of creation, life and death. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now is your chance to... Uh, well, we've warned you. In 1818, the immortal book about a man who made a monster was born in the young female brain of one Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley. And over a hundred years later, the genius of her imagination was transferred to the medium of the motion picture. I was the misshapen creature in those depression days of 1931 that had to compete with Father Christmas to bring pleasure to people during Yuletide. But somehow it worked. People queued up at box offices all over the country, breaking records. And afterwards, it was evident that millions all over the world felt sympathy for the monster. It was clear from the letters they sent that, while they were terrified by my characterization, at the same time they pitied the monster that I portrayed. And that pleased me because it was exactly what I had hoped. It's Greetings, my fellow galactic travelers, and welcome back to Planet 8. This is your mission commander, Larry, speaking to you from our hidden base. Chief Engineer Bob is here by my side as always in the command center, and circling Planet 8 in our orbital spy satellite is Reconnaissance Officer Karen. And on this episode of Planet 8, our friend and yours has come to visit us again, Lord Bloodraw. Welcome to the show, Lord Bloodraw. Uh, always thrilled to be here on uh, Planet 8 and, you know, to send a message to Planet 8 this time. I can't, unfortunately, uh, be there in person, but always a thrill to talk to you. And my lords and ladies in Planet 8 land, glad to there be you. here. There you go. Thank you, Lord Bloodraw. Now, today's episode we're going to be talking about, since we have Lord Bloodraw here, it had to be a monster. We're going to talk about Frankenstein's monster straight away. Let's kick it up to the satellite. Karen. Well... Thank you, Larry, and nice to have you here, Lord Bloodraw, as always. It's always a pleasure. Um, and yes, Frankenstein, Frankenstein, Frankenstein's monster. Arr, always great to talk about Frankenstein. I think we 
we all love talking about this topic. Um, we've done a little bit on Frankenstein when we talked about the universal monsters and Hammer. So uh, we've covered a little bit, but now we get to spend some concentrated time on Frankenstein. So, uh, of course, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention uh, the beginnings of Frankenstein with Mary Shelley's novel back in 1818. And I think one of the striking things about it is that uh, – of, of all the monsters, you know, we talk about the universal monsters and Dracula and Wolfman and everything. They all have really occult origins. And Frankenstein, in many ways, can be viewed as like the earliest science fiction novel. Oh, yeah. You, you know, the, the monster is not really um, brought to life through supernatural means, but through scientific means, you know. So uh, we have a, a, a creature here who, in some ways, it's it has the same feel as a lot of these other gothic characters, but um, is is really brought about in a very different way because you have uh, uh, the scientist uh, Victor Frankenstein bringing uh, to life a creature through scientific methods. Although in the novel, they don't Shelley doesn't really describe exactly how that is done. It's sort of left up to the imagination. That's right. Yes. Um, the, the movies sort of popularized the idea of uh, lightning or electricity, uh, you know, bringing the power source. And uh, we can we may talk about some other films and other ways that uh, the creature was brought to life. But, um, yeah, really, this is a, a creature that's a little bit different than some of the other monsters. And I think that's kind of interesting. And the whole concept of mankind... Or, or a man playing God uh, is really one of the things that I think has fascinated people throughout, uh, you know, the decades uh, with Frankenstein. Unlike some of the other creatures, there's really a, a cautionary tale here behind right. it all. Oh, yes. And yes. so I think that's one of the things that keeps people going back to this story and revisiting it and, and recreating it over and over again. Definitely, yeah. yeah. It, uh, it, it's a tale of it, it it almost has the meaning that you assign to it it's about uh, the responsibility of science to society it's about parental responsibility mm -hmm. dr frankenstein creates the monster his child it reaches up to him and he he shuns it and runs away from it right uh it, it has so many different connotations especially today that our science has gotten so the and uh, the all the, the ramifications it has on ai which is mm -hmm. something that Mary Shelley could not have known about mm -hmm. back then. Intelligent machines, you know, yeah, it's just, it's a fascinating book and a fascinating concept all the way around. Well, that's the thing that fascinates me because obviously these are totally new concepts back in the 1800s. You know, this isn't something where there's all these monster and sci-fi novels and things to draw from. And yet Mary Shelley came up with all this and she was like in her late teens, right? Yeah. She was yeah. not that old when she wrote the book. Right. So, yeah, she was yeah. 18 years old, yeah. There are some uh, predecessors to the Frankenstein monster in uh, Jewish myth, the golem. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, it's kind of been likened to that, a stone statue that uh, is brought to life when a scroll um, with a symbol of life written on it is inserted in the, in the mouth. And it comes to life, and it can can avenge wrongs. It was almost it was almost the first superhero, really. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, as far as um, one man's obsession 
with creating with beating death and creating life and building a body that he he animates yeah it's a totally totally new concept and a brilliant concept i i thought it was interesting um you know, when you talk about the mummy or Dracula or the Frankenstein's monster or a zombie, we're all dealing or they're all dealing with something that is in one shape or form dead, but comes back to life or is reanimated in some way using different methodologies. You know, Dracula and, and uh, you know, the mummy have nothing in common other than they were reanimated and brought back to life or mm -hmm. some form of life. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was interesting. She, uh, Mary Shelley was able to go in a completely different direction with reanimating different pieces of cadavers, you know, for the time. And, and like Bob had said, for a 16 year old, I mean, that's just like, what kind of a nightmare did that poor thing have, yeah. you know, to come up oh, with? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 It is amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And something that uh, I, I don't believe any, well, none of the films that I've seen, none of the Frankenstein films I've seen touches on this, but in the novel, uh, it says that Frankenstein not only collected body parts from universities, mortuaries, and graves, but also from slaughterhouses. Ah. So there are animal hmm. parts as well in the monster because he's not only trying to create a a man, but he's trying to create the ultimate man. Mm. So he, why not, you know, steal some animal parts and, and do that too. In the novel, this is something that none of the other ones of uh, films have touched on too. In the novel, the monster is eight foot tall. Right. That mm. has not been done in any film. They make him, they've made him tall, you know, close to seven feet in some, in some instances. Actually, you know, it's funny because last tall. night I watched uh, Abin Costello meet Frankenstein. Yes. And an, Brian Costello describes him as eight feet tall. Oh, in one scene, yeah. <laughs> oh, eight All feet right. tall. Uh, you know, and it was just yeah. like, well, compared to Costello, he probably looked eight. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think then it was just he was supposed to be exaggerating, but right, right, yeah. Right. But it's just it's just amazing that he happened to say eight feet. <laughs> and then even in young Young Frankenstein, they don't really say how big, but no, you know. Gene Wilder talks about the fact that all the organs and all the parts have to be larger, so you know, so he can, uh, yeah, get yeah, in and there that and do all this stuff. Out of the novel. Yeah, mm -hmm. that is why he's made so big because he wasn't a practical surgeon, so he needed the parts bigger so his clumsy hands could get him could get them to work. There you go. Yeah, and he and would another, have enormous von Stuka. Yeah, that's right. And this is kind of a weird historical. Uh, quirk in the Frankenstein legend, but some people who have re researched her possible uh, inspirations for Frankenstein note that she had traveled through Germany and at one time stayed at Castle Frankenstein, which mm. was owned by the Frankenstein family. And about a hundred years before that, in that castle, there was a um, um, alchemist who lived there, named Johann Dippel. And Dippel was, as alchemists do, trying to find the Philosopher's Stone, change lead into gold, but he was also looking for a way to reanimate the dead, as legend has mm. it. Some people say she she heard that, 
Uh, mix that in with a whole bunch of other inspirations, uh, uh, experiments with galvanism, with making dead limbs jump with electricity, things like that. That all kind of coalesced in her mind. And then at the Via, Via Diodato, which we owe a lot of horror lore to that that one <laughs> stay that evening, mm-hmm. um, she wrote she wrote Frankenstein during during that period. And I think we're very lucky that she took the name of the castle for the novel Frankenstein, or we could be sitting here talking about Dipple. That's right. <laughs> well, you know, Dipple, Dipple's monster, right? Ta- right talking right. about talking about Castle Frankenstein, and obviously. Yeah. Dracula was an actual historical figure. Mm-hmm. That is what led to the fact that all these classic Universal monsters and Universal cannot copyright any of them. They could copyright their act, their look, like mm-hmm. Frankenstein's flat head or mm-hmm. whatever, but they could not. They do not have any claim to the name Frankenstein or Dracula. Right. You know, Wolfman maybe, but you know, everyone's just do werewolves, and uh, mummies obviously existed before they made movies. So that's why you have this, and we'll talk about them today. This great, this great <laughs> proliferation of uh, of Frankenstein movies. Right. I mean, it's like anyone can make a Frankenstein movie as long as you don't make him look like the Universal Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. And almost everybody has. That's true. That's <laughs> true. But that's what I like. That's why Hammer was able to do Frankenstein and Dracula and the Mummy right. and a werewolf mm-hmm. and all that. Although they did not do a creature from the Black Lagoon. Now that that was like that. I'm sure that funny. was an, an original Universal creation, right. so they could right. copyright right. that or trademark that. Right. And the but, mole people. And the mole people. <laughs> and the metal and mutant and whatever. You don't but the mole people movie. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, yeah, that's why, like I say, anyone can do a Frankenstein movie. Anyone can do a Dracula movie. Anyone can do a mummy, for that matter. Oh, and the, all the books. I mean, there's so many stories and books. The comics. I mean, I was going to, I may mention something about some of the Marvel comics, but yeah, it just lives on and on in popular culture. Oh, yeah. Now, do you think that's kind of why? He's been so famous just because anyone can do it. So there's been so many, and it kind of keeps it in the mainstay. I, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, like, it, like me, if Universal owned it, and they just made those films in the 30s and 40s, and then that was it, would he have been as popular as as he is now with Hammer and everybody else making these other movies? Yeah, wow. that's a good question. I I think, you know, obviously he's the most sympathetic of the yes. quote-unquote mm-hmm. monsters. Yes. Um, you know, I don't want to jump ahead, but there was a film, you know, we all watched movies, and I'll wait till we get into the films, but there was a very poignant scene where, you know, the dialogue, the, the guy was questioning, the monster was questioning why, how, and who he was. And I think there's a lot of people you know, especially in your younger years, you're starting off in life and you're questioning who you are, what you're going to do, uh, you know, where you are in life. And it, in a weird way, it, it kind of reflects on um, some of our stories, not in a gothic horror patchwork put together way. Uh, speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, an, it's the eternal question, isn't it? Right. Why, why am I here? Mm-hmm. Do I have a purpose? Uh, Do I have a flathead? What are these bolts for? Right, Frankenstein's. Uh, the, the, I should say that the the monsters. Yeah. The big difference with him is 
he knows his creator, mm-hmm. concrete creator, and his creator has rejected him. Yeah, that's that has so many ramifications. Again, with the parental responsibility and general mm-hmm. responsibility for your actions, but to in a concrete way know your creator and know that you are rejected by your by your creator. Yeah, that's. That's it, amazing. Psychologically, the the monster is uh, just an incredible construct. It really is as an as a character. It's an amazing construct. You know, I will say, you know, I I was my wife is cool. Don't get me wrong, but we have to share time on. And I'm like, look, I need to burn through some Frankenstein movies. And she's like, well, <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm watching this thing about Jehovah's Witnesses. And I'm like, oi, okay. So I'm sitting there watching now. The, the to cut to the story. There were these kids that were abandoned by their parents. And look, there are, there are people that abandon their kids outside of any cult or religion or, or whatever. But the deep psychological scars that these children had of their parents giving them away or pushing them away and, and never being able to ask why. At least the monster was able to, you know, in, in certain stories and certain movies confront victor and say why father why creator <clears throat> and you know depending on the movie or the book he either got a okay answer but he never got the answer well, he never got the love he wanted he never right. got the acceptance he wanted right right yeah. right so which was I why think- he would rampage mm-hmm. yeah he's, he says he says in the novel i have a heart full of love and if i can't express that love to humanity than I right. will express the evil in my heart. Yes. To humanity. Yeah. yeah. It, um, I, I, it just speaks levels. It, oh, yeah. Obviously, all of us, one of our favorite uh, monsters, universal or otherwise. Um, I tell you what, let's Bob was able to watch the most films. Let's kick it over. (laughs) What's one of the films you want to talk about, Bob? Bob, Bob's on furlough and sitting around at home so he can watch many, many movies. Uh, You know, I actually did find on Amazon Prime, they had the 1910 Thomas Alva Edison Frankenstein. They did. Yes, yes. It's it's like 14 minutes long, but now wasn't that like the first Mm-hmm. quote movie yeah. that was ever yeah. released was Frankenstein the, the very first film adaptation yeah. yeah and uh it takes a lot of liberties in its 14 minutes and you know <laughs> the end of it it's like you know he goes in a mirror and disappears or something yeah, it's just really yeah. kind of bizarre but yeah. um but I did watch that I had not seen that before but since it popped up I said oh I'm gonna check this out for historical purposes there you go yeah but, um, yeah, I mean, I binged my way through all the Universal ones. Basically, same thing. Lieutenant Debbie, I told her, hey, I got to watch some Frankensteins. <laughs> so what we did was we we watched all the Universal ones together at night. And then when I'm sitting on my butt on the couch all day, I was watching things like I Was a Teenage Frankenstein and Frankenstein Meets the Space Monster and Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell and, you know, all those all those kind of things. <laughs> one that I thought, and this is jumping way ahead, but one that I thought was kind of interesting was I Frankenstein. That Have you guys seen that? Interesting. Uh, it's almost like you know, it's like the uh, underworld, or maybe even the John Wick of Frankenstein movies. It's like Thomas Zane, was it? You know, basically they cover the entire story of Frankenstein in the first like two minutes of the movie. 
Mm-hmm. And then it starts off after, you know, he and Victor are on the ice flow and all that. But he returns and he gets caught in between a war between gargoyles and demons. Yeah. And he actually becomes like a demon hunter. And uh, it's really... It was pretty interesting. I, I, like I say, after watching two weeks worth of cutting up <laughs> bodies and reanimating them, this was like a, a different take, and it was kind of it was maybe that's why I found it so interesting. But, well, interesting is a word. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, fascinating. Uh, maybe why I enjoyed it more. <laughs> no, I, I I agree. I've seen that film, Bob, and it it went in a direction that I could not have imagined. Um, yeah, I'll agree I, I give him yeah. credit. No one's ever done it before, and no one's ever done it again. Um, Bob, did you get the sense that they wanted to do kind of like a trilogy or something out of that? Oh, I'm film? sure they wanted to make a series out of it, a but series. yeah, know, a series it just of films never manifested. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's obviously at the end, it's left open to more stories. But oh, yeah. um, you know, and like I said, I watched a lot of a lot of the films, and you know, some of the ones like. Uh, I, I thought Frankenstein meets, you know, the space monster. He wasn't really Frankenstein. He was like a cyborg that they just kind of they nicknamed Frankenstein. Yeah. Anything um, to sell a movie. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and oh, I yes. watched uh, oh, yes. Dracula versus Frankenstein, which was a creature oh. feature staple. Oh, yes. yes. Everybody's in there, including like Forrest J. Ackerman's in there. And, right. Yeah. You know, a bunch of Lon Chaney, uh, you know, Nash. Yeah, Lon Chaney Jr.'s in there. Oh, and, Jay Carroll you know, Nash, poor guy. I really got to say, Pretty terrible. kind of going off on a lark here, after sitting there at night and watching Lon Chaney as the Wolfman, as Lawrence Stewart Talbot, and he's just yeah. one of my favorite actors in the in that whole series. Uh-huh. And then to see him in Dracula versus Frankenstein where he's like uh-huh. a mute and he's disheveled and just kind of staggering around and right. you know, probably drunk through most of the scenes. Uh, well, it was pretty I, sad, you know. He, he was dying during that. Yeah, yeah, he had yeah cancer, right? He had the cancer. Yeah, that's why he didn't speak in the movie. Yeah, because he had uh, he had throat cancer there. It was throat cancer, I believe, just like his father, wasn't it? Mm. I think. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, you know, that was it. Was okay. It was obviously an independent film. Oh yeah, but yeah, you know, it has some interesting things. And yeah. uh, another film that we talked about off air was Frankenstein the True Story. Yes. The two-part TV movie from 1973. Mm-hmm. And uh, Shout Factory has a uh, Blu-ray of that out now. And the two parts comes in like a little over three hours. Because obviously there were two two-hour movies, but they had all the yeah. commercials and everything in there. Right. And uh, I was just amazed by the film. Yeah, I forgot how good that thing was. And, it's been uh, a couple of years since I've seen it. I need to see yeah. it again. I need to check. Just it out the performances, on Amazon, especially yeah, the one, well, the yeah. one performance that I think stuck out amongst all the actors in that movie was Jane Seymour. Mm. And she played, you know, they call the Frankenstein monster Adam because right. he's the first, and then they create the woman, which they call uh, Prima. Right. And, uh, yeah, she just, because she has this weird dark side to her. She's trying to be an English lady and fit in with 
with Elizabeth and all the, you know, the parties they have and the people they meet. And she has to wear the choker because she has the stitches around her neck. Right. But then when she's at the dance and she's like shining at the dance, she's doing this whole big, you know, they're all dancing in pairs. And then she kind of jettisons off and starts doing this ballet and they all kind of split off. And she's the center of attention doing this big ballet. Right. When Adam or the creature shows up and then she goes almost feral. Yeah. You know, the, the look in her eye and he goes towards her. She like attacks him. She like jumps at him starts to try to scratch him in that before spoiler alert before yeah. he grabs her head and just yanks her head off, you know, and it's just like that scene marred me for years. Oh, it's, <laughs> that was the only thing I could scene. remember to this day. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely a shocker. I, oh, I yeah. will say, though, do not stream it from Amazon because that's what I did. And they chop it down to two hours and it's almost incomprehensible. No, no, no. no. Oh, you can't really? chop this down. Yeah, yeah no, they, they, I was watching it and I'm going, wait, what is, what's going on? And one minute, you know, Victor's off doing one thing and then all of a sudden he's living somewhere else and something. I'm like, wait, what's going on here? And then I checked oh. the runtime and it was two hours. So how they take that and Well, chop. I'm not sure what I was drinking when I was streaming it, but I had no problem watching it on Amazon. <laughs> well, see, it's, wow. it's, it was, it's, it's, it's interesting pretty, because it's on the Blu-ray, <laughs> they have the first like hour and a half. And you can tell when it dips to black and it should be a commercial and coming, you know. But when Adam like leaps off the cliff, lands in the water, that was the end of the first night. Mm. And they have the credits and then they have opening credits and they have a a recap and then they go into the second part. So you can either watch it in two parts or, you know, you can watch it straight through, but you do get the feel of what it was like back then to see it in the, in, you know, two nights. I believe I have that on VHS. I think I taped it. (laughs) There you go. I think I taped it when it was on. So I'm going to have to dig that out and, rehook up my VHS player. Lord uh, Blood Raw, what is this yes. VHS you speak of? <laughs> it's an ancient steam-powered technology that... Uh, I was going to say, that that probably had to be like the first movie you had on VHS, huh? At, oh, no. No, back then? <laughs> no, I would tape I would tape a lot of stuff on uh, back then. Back I, the I started off with Betamax, and I don't think I even oh. got one until 74-ish. Here's something weird and totally off-topic. Sorry, but um, Vincent Price, you know, did um, an evening with Edgar Allan Poe, right? Where he does these, uh, there are many one-man shows based on Edgar Allan Poe stories. He does The Pit and the Pendulum. He does, um, uh, the not The Raven, but um, The Telltale Heart, da-da-da-da. I taped it, got it on v- uh, VHS. Years later, I bought the DVD from, I think it was Midnight Movies, right? MGM's hmm. Midnight Movies. Do you know that the quality on the VHS is better than what they put on that DVD? Really? Oh. It honestly is. It is so strange. Because Midnight well, Movies were generally pretty good. Right. I know. I don't know why they got a, got a you know, kind of a shaky copy on uh, yeah. on this one. It's weird. I mean, but anyway, it's not, it's not I, like I it was like Alpha Video or something. I wonder what their source yeah. is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I digress. <laughs> yeah. So but. here's a, here's an oddball, uh, and I didn't rewatch it, but I saw it a couple of years ago. The, a very strange movie called The Spirit of the Beehive. Oh. Uh, 
Okay, so you're, I'm familiar with it. You're I, familiar I with it. it. Yeah. So this is a movie about uh, takes place. It's a foreign film, Spanish film, takes place in the 40s during the Spanish Civil War, and uh, has these two, this family with these two young girls, and uh, at one point uh, the the young girls see Frankenstein, the original Universal Frankenstein, and one of the girls becomes very attached to the monster and and connects to the monster and uh, begins to fantasize seeing the monster around her village and stuff. And uh, at some point, I think she becomes, she starts helping out a uh, soldier who is hiding out near the village. And then she sort of visualizes or imagines he's Frankenstein and, and begins taking him food. And then she takes him things from her house. And then the vill- the soldier's captured and uh, uh, the authorities find things from her father on the soldier. Anyway, the, the Frankenstein connection is that, you know, you start to see through her eyes and the monsters kind of rambling around in this film. And it's all about, again, that thing that Larry spoke about where how children connect with the monster. They can see themselves, you know, in the monster. And it was just such a strange thing, uh, you know, to have the monster show up in a movie that is not a clearly not a monster film or a horror film. Um, but again, that uh quality of the monster has such strong connections for for children especially um so that was kind of a a way out there pick uh but one that i had come across i think during a um i think it was actually on like pbs or something the first time i saw it but is it is it available anywhere now uh it's probably it's probably on you know some service I don't know I didn't look it up to be honest uh, I just remembered seeing it and then I kind of jarred my memory um, yeah, probably sure is. on the internet yeah it probably is so Bob you said you've seen recently seen all the universal ones I assume in order yes yes right what do you think about I mean watching them in order you really get a sense of the monsters arc don't you? Well, yeah, because, no, you definitely do because yeah, you know he's obviously he's created. Right. Then he thinks he has a mate, right. and that actually makes him realize that he should be he should not be living to begin with that he should be dead. Right. But then you know he always gets blown up in castles or right. burned in houses or dropped in sulfur, and he always comes back because he right. can't be yeah. killed. But uh, yeah, and then you know he gets Igor's brain. Right. He gets the brain transplant. But well, I, I think it was like they chalked it up to blood type or compatibility or something. Right, yeah. And he goes blood, blind. Blood type wouldn't feed the optical nerves. Yeah. Science. So he goes blind. <laughs> and then he comes right. back. And I think we you know, we discussed this in the Universal episode yeah. in Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman where he's, he was supposed to be blind. Right. And Can't speak. Universal didn't want him to or whatever. So there's kind of that. That's why you get that kind of weird Bela Lugosi portrayal as Frankenstein. Right. Right. And then, um, and then, you know, after that, then it was all just kind of monster melees because you had House of Frankenstein, House of Dracula. Right. And Abbott and Costello. But yeah, at that point, he would just get burned or whatever and then 
boom, he comes back the next episode. But yeah. you know, it was usually you yeah. know, Dracula or somebody, you know, reanimating him. Right. But, His height uh, seems to have been Bride of Frankenstein. Because well, in that mm-hmm. he he speaks, right. he also um, has his own agency. Right. He tells Frankenstein, "You work. Yeah. You know, I I want this mate. You work. You sleep later. You you work. I want this. Mm-hmm. So it's the only it's the only one where he is like a fully realized mm-hmm. character. By the time of Son of Frankenstein, uh, some of that is is gone because of the explosion i look at it like his brain is just kind of like an etch-a-sketch mm-hmm. like it's a, it's a regular it's scramble a human it brain inside this tank of a body that gets scrambled <laughs> kind of every time it goes through a major trauma so yeah. by son of frankenstein he's kind of like igor's uh automaton yeah i have my own views on the relationship between igor and uh the monster do tell kind of controversial he, but anyway he does things for me yes I, <laughs> I think igor genuinely loved him i mean loved him loved the monster and i think that comes through in ghost of frankenstein when he's talking about uh you know he, he my friend you know hurt him you know yeah. and then the way he when he's trying to draw the monster away from trouble he almost this is going to sound very strange but he almost kind of coos to him yeah. you know no, come away, please. No. Oh. <laughs> it's like like the Italian it. grandmother. Oh, hey, <laughs> come here. No, you don't hey, want no. to do that. <laughs> yeah, in in a way it's kind of sad to me because after Bride, you know, the monster makes it to the point where not only does he come self-aware and understand that he is the creation of Victor Frankenstein. Yes. But he accepts that the, he is dead, right. and he wants companionship of someone that is dead, thinking that they will accept him. Right. And even the bride did not accept him, and that's right. when he gave him the afangul and said, okay, <laughs> yo, you belong dead. You go. You live. Right. And then there was just this sad decline yeah. um, in, in the Universal films after that. So yeah. it, it kind of... You know, I don't want to be a bummer. It doesn't, you know, I've watched these Ghosts of Frankenstein. It makes me sad. But um, there is this decline. And it's almost like, you know, when we, uh, I was talking with my nephew. He's like, come on, let's, you know, go play some football. I'm like, I can't run like I used to. I can't, you know, there's a decline as we get older. You know, my eyesight's not what it used to be. Thank God I don't have an eye guard. Hey, come here, big boy. I make you tonight. <laughs> I'm, I'm good with that. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that kind of a relationship. Not that but, there's anything wrong with it. You know, well, yeah. well, that, that's what jazz is for. <laughs> I'll tell you, one of the stranger movies, and I don't mean any disrespect, but The Bride with Sting and Jennifer Beale. Um, did you any of you guys watch that? Oh, it has been so long since I've seen that. Back yeah, like a distant 80s, memory. Clancy Brown plays the monster. That's a good pick, actually. If Clancy Brown could do it. Yep. He did a very, very good. Uh, you know, the obviously the title of the movie is Bride, so they didn't focus a lot on the monster. But he had a very interesting relationship with Ronaldo the dwarf, and the name escapes me of the actor. But it reminded me of. Um, Oh, God, I had it on the tip of my tongue. Um, 
Oh, it's a Steinbeck, um, and he squeezes the puppy because he loves it of so much. Of mice and men? Of mice and men. That, the way that he portrayed the monster reminded me of, was it George, I think the character's name, and of mice and men? Very uh, sympathetic. Lenny. 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 He, he was a kind of a simpleton, you know, and it was Ronaldo who loved him and told him, no, you know, you are a good person and you are a handsome man and, you know, this, that and the other. Um, it was an interesting take on the monster um, that I haven't seen since that film. Now, the film itself is not that good. <laughs> yeah, I haven't um, seen it you in know. years. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, I don't even think it's streaming anywhere. But it was interesting to, uh, if you, if any of you guys get a chance to watch it, to watch that relationship between the monster and Ronaldo the dwarf. Interesting. Now, the, the Dan Curtis Frankenstein, mm-hmm. um, Bo Svensson plays <sighs> the monster in that. Ah. And it's, it's, it is the most sympathetic, heartbreaking portrayal of the monster I've ever seen. And it's interesting because... I, I I I wish somebody would interview Bo Spence, and I think he's still alive. I'm pretty sure he's mm. still alive. But I would swear that he took part of his performance from Fred Gwynn as Herman Munster. Huh. Oh, really? Because he in, in, there are moments where he's got that kind of little screwed up smile, like like that kind of mischievous <laughs> yeah. thing that Herman would get. But it's 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 within a serious. Perf- mm. performance and a serious portrayal of and a sympathetic portrayal of the monster i highly recommend it um both fanson plays the monster and i have robert foxworthy foxworth foxworthy plays mm. uh the doctor and it's just brilliant that is on amazon okay all right amazon. good yeah i saw it on amazon i was i was meaning to watch it <clears throat> but uh like i mentioned before I think I could only make it through so many films where bodies get cut up and reanimated <laughs> that that's why I kind of jettisoned off towards Frank Siamese or Frank Siamese, the space monster and things like yeah. that. But, um, but yeah, I was definitely meaning to watch it. And even though we're doing this episode now, I will probably go back and watch it at some point. There you go. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm going to go back and watch Amazon has a plethora of films related to the Frankenstein oh, yeah. story. Oh, yeah. um, well, there's always my favorite and I didn't get to watch it because we had a power outage, but, uh, Frankenstein conquers the world. Oh, right. 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 <laughs> yeah. right yeah. Being a Godzilla guy. Um, <laughs> no, but I mean, it was an interesting concept that, uh, well, actually, they go. They actually go to Frankenstein's lab, and and the German army like takes the heart from Doctor Frankenstein, and then they're transporting it on the submarine, and that's when you know the H bomb hit and all that, or the atomic bomb hit, and uh, the sub sank, and you know whatever, and uh, the heart. The whole concept is that with Frankenstein, if you cut off a limb, it'll grow back. Or if you have a cell, it'll grow a body, you know, type of thing. So the heart actually grows into Frankenstein. And uh, I thought it was a pretty cool concept. I don't I don't know if they did the regeneration thing in any other movies. Obviously, he keeps coming back to life, but, you know, growing limbs and things like that, I don't know if they uh, ever touched uh, on that. That's a good question. 
Now the, yeah. now, the sequel to that movie was actually War of the Gargantuas, and you would never right. know about it <laughs> in this country because when it was dubbed here, they took out all the references. But in Japan, it was called the Frankenstein Brothers. Yeah. You know, Sanda and Gaira. So right. um, basically, it was the same thing. It's like, you know, part of Frankenstein or the Frankenstein monster cells wound up like in the ocean and then you know, also wound up in the in the mountains. Mm-hmm. So they grew two, quote, Frankenstein monsters, which turned out to be the gargantuas. But one is, you know, green, sea-based, and the other is brown right. and, you know, lives in the mountains and things. So, uh, yeah, if you get a chance to watch um, the subtitled version of mm-hmm. War of the Gargantuas and all that, because they refer to them as Frankenstein and all that, you know, throughout the movie, so... Well, you can even see kind of in the design, they kind of kept the forehead mm-hmm. thing going, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. Yeah, it's true. And Bob, you're being far more uh, versed in the kaiju world than I am. You probably know this, know the story better, but uh, Willis O'Brien, after King Kong, wanted to make a King Kong versus Frankenstein film. Yeah, and yeah. the Frankenstein monster was going to be a, they were going to resurrect Kong right I, Frankenstein I guess was going to resurrect Kong and he was building this giant monster and they were going to fight and through various nefarious iterations it went means, to Frank, it, it, it went to King like Kong King Kong, Kong versus, versus Prometheus and then it went to mm-hmm. uh, right. yeah it was like King Kong versus a like a ginkgo which was like a creature with all these different animal parts sewn together oh I didn't know that oh yeah, yeah. oh wow okay and then yeah, it, it it turned out, and we kind of covered this in our King Kong episode recently. But uh, basically, Jerry Beck was wound up with the rights because Willis O'Brien kind of assumed he had the rights to Kong, right? And then RKO said, "No, no, 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 we own Kong." So Willis O'Brien kind of was kind of out of it at that point. And Jerry Beck went to RKO, got the rights, took the whole idea to Toho, and Toho said, "Oh, we like that." But instead of this other monster, we want Godzilla in there. And it became King Kong versus Godzilla. And then they actually, you know, and they they later did the Frankenstein movie and they did another Kong movie and all that. So but yeah, that's kind of the the seeds of where that grew from. Uh, another interesting facet of at least of the film various films of Frankenstein is uh the all the American well, primarily well, the vast majority of the American Frankenstein films deal with the monsters. The doctor makes the monster, and it's following the monster and the having mm-hmm. it. All of the European of the the Hammer films, yes. The through line is the doctor, right? The through line is the, the the monster. Just you know, he's just creating monsters as he goes. That storyline is. Frankenstein as this absolutely obsessed sociopath Mm -hmm. who will do whatever he needs to do in order to perfect that's something that's always bugged me in order to perfect his experiment in bringing a creature to life he does it many times what exactly what is the missing element he's looking for it wasn't a 
a good <laughs> enough man. You know, I wasn't a, a perfect <laughs> enough creature. So it wasn't keep, perfect enough. Yeah. 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 Well, that's I think the thing that's maybe less appealing to some of us is because, like, yeah, looking at Hammer and going through the films, it's it's really following Frankenstein, the Doctor Frankenstein, Baron yeah. Frankenstein, right. and you know, as much as I love uh, uh, Peter Cushing, it's still I don't know, it's more appealing to me anyway to like follow the monster, I guess. So. Yeah, it's almost like, oh, following, you know, uh, a serial killer or something, you know, as he goes along, because he is murdering people and doing yeah. all sorts of horrendous things. He's, yeah, he is yeah. a monster. He's just not uh, the type of monster, you know, maybe uh, like me personally that I would prefer. But, yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that. And then I know there's there's a lot of other European films that have done Frankenstein. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. They focus on... On Doctor Frankenstein, on so Dr. It's Frankenstein. really but, but, interesting. But think about some difference. of the think about some of the actors that played the monster. They had Christopher Lee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a Kiwi Kingston. Yeah, and, Prowse. Uh, David Prowse, Darth Vader himself was the monster. Right. Yeah. But yeah, one of the one of the Hammer films I watched was Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell, which yeah, the Monster from Hell was not like your typical Frankenstein monster. You know, he was. Yeah, what yeah. was he? <laughs> he uh-huh. I well, I mean, he was. He was basically Frankenstein was held up in a uh, like an asylum. Right, right. And he was taking you know as, as patients the asylum were were passing away either naturally or by his hands. Right. Um, he would take those and sew them together into into this creature. Right. And uh, but yeah, it was just like more of a beast really than. Yeah, in your typical they, Frankenstein monster. They described mm-hmm. him as he was a local, uh, he was an inmate, but right. he was basically this local brute. Yeah, he was like very strong glass. brute. Enjoyed, yeah, enjoyed yeah. breaking glass and shoving it in people's faces. Yeah. But they. But he also they, like escaped from his cell one time as right. his regular human self by bending the bars. Bending the bars. Yeah, so, so he was already strong. Why he was a caveman. Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because he's got hair all over him, you know, all over his body. Yeah, and that. yeah. He's just he. He didn't so much make this one yeah. as find him and just kind of augment him. <laughs> yeah, and uh, that was, you know, it, it was a good twist. Like I say, you know, yeah. Just watching yeah. the movies where he gets you know sewn together, reanimated over and over and over again. This right, one, you yeah. know, it was nice to have one with a little twist to it. Yeah, and that was the last one. That was the yeah. last Hammer yeah. Frankenstein film, and it ends with him planning the next monster. Yeah, it's just it's just this pull out shot, and he's there in the laboratory, just muttering away to himself as to what you know what he did wrong that time. And well, that's the, yeah, that's the thing time. because it's like everything went wrong. Yeah, you know? yes. anything that could go wrong went wrong, and then when finally he had to destroy his monster. And then, yeah, he's like, okay, well, let's see, next time I can do this, <laughs> or right. I'll do that different. It's, you know? it's just the mad scientist thing, right? It's the mad right. scientist trope. So the you're obsession. really there, you're, you're in it for that rather than, you know, for the monster itself. You're, yeah. you're you know, following, okay, what kind of sick and twisted thing is this guy going to do this time, you know? Right. And like I had, I had it sitting on the, uh, on the player and I didn't, get a chance to watch it, but there was also uh, Frankenstein Creates Woman. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Has anyone seen Frankenstein Unbound? 
Many years ago, yes, and it yeah. was uh, that's a the Corman movie. Roger Corman, yeah. And uh, yeah, that's a trip with all the tra- time travel and stuff in it. It really is, yeah. And, and talk about uh, uh, Frankenstein and its commentary on technology, you know, and and, and that uh, any kind of uh, incredibly dangerous creation of science can be likened to the Frankenstein monster. I believe in this one, he creates uh, a, uh, a device that can control the weather. Oh, right? Yeah, there's, there's a, a bunch. There's a whole bunch. I mean, it's got like the kitchen sink. It's got a whole yeah. bunch of stuff in there. <laughs> yeah. And I remember the creature had stitched together eyes of all different yes. colors. Yes, yes. And I think John Hurt was, uh, was John he the Hurt. protagonist. Yeah, he was the, the 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 scientist from the future, right? Who travels back in time? Yeah. yeah. Well, wasn't that the movie poster where they had like a a close up of an eye That's and it was it. an iris? Yeah. It was mm-hmm. four different colors stitched together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I fascinating really, film. Really I wanted fascinating. to go back and see that one. I didn't get around to it uh, before our podcast, obviously. But yeah, that that one is worth checking out for sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, and it really by the. I mean, see the movie, but definitely by the end of the film, it it kind of says, you know, that any uh, any dangerous creation of science will ultimately uh, escape the control of the scientist. Mm-hmm. It's bound to happen. It's well, bound to proliferate beyond the control of, of human beings. And, you know, that theme is we see that in the original Jurassic Park, too, exactly. you know. Exactly. So, right. well, but, the Terminator, but, Skynet. We're seeing it now with AI. Absolutely, yeah. 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 So it's a it's a common theme, a common worry mm-hmm. of mankind. Mm-hmm. And you could say that 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 started with Frankenstein. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That entire Definitely. concept started with Frankenstein before before the industrial yeah eighteen eighteen before the industrial revolution mm-hmm. right because that was more. 18, 1880s, 1890s was the right. Industrial Revolution. So she now, now was really on the edge of really seeing all this stuff happen. Yep. And we were talking about the movies introducing the whole thing about lightning and electricity and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, that was harkening back to Frankenstein, the true story. It was not mm-hmm. thunder, lightning, right. whatever. It was actually, he used uh, chemicals and then he used power from the sun. Yeah. By harnessing the power of the sun mm. to uh, revive him. And there wasn't, yeah. in the original novel, it wasn't lightning or it was just like chemicals and that, right? Yeah, right, right. I think she just mentions, like, a, at one point, there's a quote about, like, an engine or something. and yeah. Working of a mysterious engine. Or yeah, yeah, but it's never really described, even though I know she was influenced, like uh, Lord Bloodrod said, about galvanism, but. It's never totally said, you know, yes, electricity brought him back to life. So some of the films spoke of cosmic rays, too, you know. Oh, Son of Frankenstein. I was watching that last night. Yeah. And uh, uh, Wolf Frankenstein says, oh, they thought it was lightning, but it was really cosmic Cosmic rays. rays. Yeah. Look at these bullets in his chest. And that's a fascinating sequence in that. Like the Fantastic Four. Monster in. Maybe, yeah, maybe he's more like the thing. Who knows? There you go. (laughs) But yeah, the the lab sequence where he's checking him out and he's finding out all his physiology. Uh, Speaking of that, it's like I did 
catch a couple episodes of Frankenstein Jr. while I was watching all this stuff. <laughs> so. Howdy, Buzz. <laughs> Let's go, Frankie. All right, Buzz. All right, Buzz. Uh, yeah, well, that um, that huge apparatus that sits over the slab that the monster's on with the big, like, kind of glowing, glowing orbs on either end, that's called the Cosmic Inducer. Ah. Yeah, yeah, they call that, uh, uh, Strickfadden called it the Cosmic I, Inducer, so. So I thought the cool thing with all that stuff was when they made Young Frankenstein. Yes. They went oh, back yeah. and they found all those electronic gizmos and Jacob's ladders and everything. It was all in some guy's garage somewhere in Hollywood and they found it all and they were able to bring it back. And so that's all the original equipment that was in the, uh, the 1931 Frankenstein. Yeah. So and cool. It, it's funny to, uh, watching, uh, uh, son of Frankenstein last night, you, you realize how much of young Frankenstein, I mean, obviously, it, it comes from the Universal films, but so much of it comes from Son of Frankenstein, too. There's yes. so many things in there with, you know, uh, Krogh with his arm and the throwing the darts, uh, even the the bizarre uh, stylings of the, uh, the castle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would say some of the things with Igor and his... Uh, playing the pipe yeah, the, mu- the music so luring many, the monster yeah oh, yeah. yeah there's yeah. the secret passages and all the other stuff there's a lot of stuff from that film I think those first three films are really the the canon of Universal Frankenstein and it really like we said it's just diminishes so much after those those three films he just becomes a shuffling mess after that yeah it's true yeah. that's true but yeah, in Young Frankenstein, I think Gene Wilder's performance is a direct uh. takeoff on Basil Rathbone in Son of Frankenstein. Yeah. <laughs> His, I think Basil Rathbone is hilarious in Son of Frankenstein. Yeah. When he gets panicked, and he's right. <laughs> he gets so the anxiety shoots up as the film goes on, and he's just yeah, he's just that's right, yeah, shaken towards the end. Yeah, right, it's, yeah. It's unintentionally. I don't think it was intentionally supposed to be funny, but it is a, a little funny towards the end there was falling apart with his drink and talking to Lionel Atwill yeah right yeah (laughs) yeah I mean but you can't beat the first two and I think I think Bride of Frankenstein is like one of the greatest films of all time period yeah so obviously it all goes downhill from there but yeah Lieutenant Debbie and I were able to go to the Stanford Theater in Palo Alto last year and see Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein on the big screen Mm. which is just I mean, I've seen them, you know, here and there, but yeah, it's just amazing. Just watch the two of those back to back on the big screen. Yeah, yeah, and it's you, you, you get dragged into the film all over again. I mean, yeah, like you said, seen them hundreds of times on TV. On a big screen, it's just uh, the 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 presence of those films are so dominating that you're. It's like seeing them for the first time. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I will say, you really have to focus on the acting because I can see the backdrop seams in the you know sky supposedly oh yeah no one sure. knew well, well yeah when they're in the graveyard yeah. and yeah the At background some, yeah. yeah so but i agree i i love a shared experience with yeah. an audience it it, it 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 is how to you should watch a film really i mean yeah hopefully that'll happen again uh, yeah. <laughs> yes let's hope you know, well, that's I, the whole I, idea behind what we were trying to do with bay area film events and the fact right. that, you know, okay, yeah, you can sit on your couch and have the greatest 
you know, home theater, surround sound, whatever. But there's nothing like, you know, the community experience of just seeing it and enjoying it with like-minded people. You know, I mean, people say, oh, I don't like going to the movie theaters because people kick my chair and, you know, they spill their drink and whatever. But no, it's like, and they don't, and they heckle and whatever. But no, when you go like to a specific screening of an older film these days, whether it's Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein or whatever, you're sitting there with a whole audience of like-minded people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's when you really get the experience of watching these movies. Right. Well, it's a, it's an older, more mature audience. So you'll, there's more burping and farting to be sure, but there is more of a, (laughs) more trips to the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Excuse me. Excuse me. They got to keep stopping the film. Damn it. (laughs) That's me. We had had a, a, a small discussion before about uh, Penny Dreadful and Corey uh, oh. Kinnear is the guy who played the Frankenstein monster in that series. And, you know, I'll, I'll put him up there with any cinematic version of the monster. Yes. Uh, he, he brought heart and anger and just all the emotions that the creature would feel and... Oh, I, it's just if you guys listening have not seen Penny Dreadful, do yourself a favor. Go out there and yes, it is it, amazing. Dream it or that would and be that would be I'm, me. I'm having <laughs> I'm having an extreme reaction to you just saying that that actor who played the monster was Rory Kinnear because just recently, as everybody is discovering things on TV because we're all home. Yeah. I discovered this incredible British comedy called Count Arthur Strong. <laughs> it's amazing. It's about this old vaudevillian and this young guy who's the son of his ex-partner who goes to him, writes a book, and it's just all their comedy adventures. It's very hilarious. Rory Kinnear plays the author of the book. Really? Ah. Yes. And when you just said it was Rory Kinnear, the two images flashed. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's him. Beautiful. <laughs> Well, hold anyway, now. I gotta, I'm epiphany. making my Lord Blood Raw a watch list here. What, what's it called again? Count Arthur Strong. Count Arthur. And it's on, you're, I think you're only going to find it on Acorn. You might be able to find it on uh, Amazon. Okay. <laughs> At least one or two seasons. It's 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 hilarious. But sorry, I, total digression, but I had a personal <laughs> No, no, here. that's fine. Uh, <laughs> he, he's a great actor. A yes. Performer. Yes. Yeah, he is. Well, I know. Uh, uh, I know. Karen item. wanted to talk a little bit about the comics. Oh, the I had a, yeah. I had a couple of uh, shout outs I wanted to make as far as comics go. I know we have people who listen who read comics, and of course, uh, Marvel Comics did uh, adapt uh, the Frankenstein story back in the '70s. Gary Friedrich wrote, and the great Mike Plug. Uh, drew the monster he can do no wrong when drawing monsters and then they went on uh, to uh, send the monster off on different uh, adventures plug drawing for quite a while and then I think Don Perlin came in John Buscema and different people Um, so both in the the monster's own title and then uh, there were always those black and white magazines like Monsters Unleashed where uh, Frankenstein or the Frankenstein monster, don't want to make a faux pas, uh, would show up. Uh, so you can find, I have a nice collection the audience can't see, but uh, there's a nice 
trade paperback that has most of the uh, Frankenstein stories in it. Um, so that's uh, something you can go out and grab off of, uh, you know, any seller's book site. I'm not going to recommend anybody in particular. Um, and then there's a kind of a, a more unusual Frankenstein story I read a couple of years ago by Mike Mignola, the guy who does Hellboy. Uh mm-hmm. He's had Hellboy crossover with the Frankenstein monster, and uh, he had a separate adventure for the monster called um, Frankenstein Underground. And it was a pretty cool story because it kind of tickled some of my different interests with the Frankenstein monster. And then it had some hollow earth stuff going on, uh, the monster going and dealing with this uh, cult of people who lived under the earth. And there were sort of some Cthulhu type creatures involved. And so that's uh, collected in a trade paperback. So definitely worth uh, people checking out if they like Hellboy and they like Frankenstein's monster. Um, so yeah, there's a couple things if you want to get your Frankenstein fixed through comics that I would recommend. Very cool. Yeah. And you know, talking about the faux pas, uh, was the son of Frankenstein, right? When they're on the train and he, and basically, you know, Wolf Frankenstein, is just mentioning that you know villagers have even taken to calling the monster Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. So that kind of, I don't know if that's like because people were after the first two movies were doing that or Probably. whatever, but yeah, it was almost like a way of explaining it. Well, Bob, it's actually Frankenstein. Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> My name <laughs> is Frankenstein. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I have a, a comic shout out. Um, I, I the artwork and the and the writing is just amazing in this. It's uh, Frankenstein Alive Alive, mm. and it was written by Steve Niles and illustrated by the great Bernie Wrightston. Ah, that's a beautiful one. And every panel of that book is just gorgeous. And the story itself, it gives the monster the kind of happy ending after the novel that you want him to have. Mm. You know, it's just it's just beautifully written, obviously beautifully illustrated by Bernie mm-hmm. Wrightston. And I would yeah. definitely recommend picking that up. Frankenstein Alive Alive. Yeah, that's a nice one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's cool. Well, look, guys, before we get into our censor sweep, do we have any honorable mentions or any other films or uh, different types of hmm. media involving Frankenstein and well, his I know, creation. I, I know I mentioned it, but I didn't really talk about it. Was uh, the fact that I watched um, I was a teenage Frankenstein. <laughs> now yes. you know I was a teenage werewolf. One of my favorite movies, you know. Yes. So yeah. I was a teenage Frankenstein. Was uh, you know Gary Conway plays the uh, the monster, and uh, everyone's favorite mad, mad scientist Whit Bissell plays uh, Doctor Frankenstein. Hmm. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoy that movie. I've always enjoyed that movie. And I just thought the makeup on Teenage Frankenstein was just one of the best. Just because he has that one bulging eye and, you know, obviously his face <laughs> yeah. is all decayed. Interesting makeup. Brought him, brought yeah. him back in How to Make a Monster, but that was just sort of like a movie behind a movie. So you never really got the actual Teenage Frankenstein versus Teenage Werewolf, but he's had like a, a glimpse of it. 
kind how of. How to Make a yeah. Monster. Yeah. Yeah. That was an interesting film. I like that movie, How to Make a Monster. Yeah. Disgruntled makeup artist. It <laughs> goes crazy. Yeah. That's right. He puts chemicals in the makeup and hypnotizes them to right. go out and and attack people as Teenage Werewolf or as, as Teenage Frankenstein. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I would like to mention Frankenstein 1970. Oh. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, kind of kind of important in the whole Frankenstein film lore because it's Boris Karloff's return after so many years mm-hmm. to to Frankenstein films. He plays Baron Frankenstein, uh, some you know past uh, and uh, uh, relative of the original Frankenstein, and in it, uh, this film crew comes to the Frankenstein castle to film a film or series of commercials or something like that. And of course he's building a monster as all Frankensteins do. So can't help themselves. Can't help themselves. That's right. It's like, you know, it's It's like, it's in my genes. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) And hilarity ensues, but it's a, it's a a fun film. Of course, Karloff, Karloff gives it, you know, 100% like he always does. So that makes the film well worth watching. Very cool. Now, what what year did that come out? Because 1970 was supposed to kind of be the future, right? Yeah, nope. I believe it was 1967? Uh, 66, 67? I am not entirely sure. Yeah, it uh, definitely wasn't 1970, no. Because it was supposed to be some future year. Because, of course, he's using, instead of lightning, he's using an atomic generator. So uh, that, that makes it futuristic. Well, that's right. <laughs> Clean energy. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> hey, you know. Yeah. Karen, my friend, you have any uh Yeah, there was one I thought we would touch on and we didn't get there's just so many. I mean we I, could I know that's I, the, I've got four or five in my head, but the one I I will throw out that I thought we would touch on and we didn't was uh, Monster Squad. Oh uh, yeah. Very yes. good. That was one of the ones I was thinking of. Yeah, you know, another sympathetic uh, portrayal of the monster. So, uh, and of course, it you know it was a big monster bash. So. Uh, well, yeah, we nice, actually uh, we actually got the projector and screen out in the monster garage and had a night with the kids and watched Monster Squad. Mm-hmm. Last Friday. It's, it's a oh. Nice fun movie. I think the makeup effects in that movie for all of the monsters were great. Oh, well, yeah, you had a great team on that. Well, it's Stan, yeah. Stan Winston, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, great work. Very much an 80s film with the dialogue, but I love it. Um, Wolfman's got no words. Wolfman's got no words. <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, my pick is going to be Mary Shelley's Frankenstein uh, with uh, De Niro. You know, the film overall, you can love it or hate it, but... One of the scenes that I really even now strikes me is the monster in that ice cave. And, you know, he's playing the flute and and the dialogue is, am I the monster playing the flute or is it the brain that I have in me that's playing the flute or the right hand or the left hand? Who is playing? You know, and and it's just this deep soul searching of, who am I? What am I? Right. And, and you know, mayhem ensues <laughs> after right. of course, that. Of course. Um, I, I thought De Niro did a good job playing the creature. He did. He did. Absolutely. Um, I agree. Anyway, um, that, that's my pick. Uh, I, actually, Blood Rod, I actually found that movie like, at half price for four ninety nine. I just didn't get a chance to watch it. Oh, 
Oh. <laughs> I will get to it, though. Can't waste four ninety nine. Yeah, right. No, exactly. no exactly. you do not. You know, I, I got a digital version of the um, Bride of Frankenstein for two ninety nine on uh, Amazon. Wow. Amazon Prime. And I jumped on it because, you know, you, you're going to pay nine ninety nine or more for a digital version of the film. Um, and God knows I have all kinds of, you know, DVD, Blu-ray of that movie. I probably even have a little flip book and a viewmaster of the film, but what the <laughs> hey. <laughs> but... I was saying, Lord Blood Raw, it's always fun to have you on the show. We need to have you on more often. But always I know a you're, Thank you, thank you. I know you're real busy with, with your various projects. And this censor sweep, we're going to listen to Lord Blood Raw and all the shenanigans and shows and things he has going on during this uh, COVID shelter in place. Lord well, Blood thank Raw. you. Well, uh, you know, of course, uh, there are no live events happening. Uh, right. that's, that's a shame, not, not, uh, not this year. But, uh, of course, the TV show is still going. You can uh, check out where to catch my TV show, Lord Blood Raw's Nerve Racking Theater, at lordbloodraw.com. Go to the uh, TV schedule page, and there are various uh, streaming outlets on Roku and just general streaming where you can see them. Uh, I'm currently putting together a few ideas for some live uh, Facebook or YouTube stream shows mm. uh, around, okay. uh, around October. To, you know, uh, for the Halloween season to, to yeah. brighten that up a little bit. And I'm currently putting together a uh, DVD oh. that's uh, the title. It's basically my Halloween DVD. I haven't got the title yet, but it'll be uh, basically uh, everything I put into my live Halloween shows. So it'll be a uh, Lord Blood Raw's Tricks and Treats, which is a co compilation of various short films, trailers, uh, rare television bits and things like that, all centered around the Halloween kind of spirit. And the feature film on that DVD will be House on Haunted Hill for the first time in 3D. Oh, nice. And the package will include uh, one pair of the standard red-green 3D glasses. Look for that to come out sometime around September 1st, I'm hoping. Uh, and, of course, uh, last Sunday would have been uh, all things being equal, it would have been Creatures Con mm -hmm. 2020. Uh, and to mark the occasion, we put up uh, five presentations on Facebook. So if you go to Creatures Con, uh, uh, rather, if you go to the Facebook Creatures Con page, yeah, they're still up there in the videos. We did a interview with David Frankham that was very fun. Uh, the this These two psychology professors from Illinois call themselves the, the Psych Geeks. <laughs> and they examine uh, various horror elements of horror and science fiction and fandom from a psychological point of view. They're re really interesting guys. Mm -hmm. I did a panel with them uh, last year in, uh, in Peoria, and it was one of the most interesting uh, conversations I've ever had, let alone being on a panel with them. It was great. And there are other presentations there. If you go to the video section at the Creatures Comp page on Facebook, you'll find that. Yeah. And uh, next year will be Creatures Con 2020. Uh, that will be coming up August uh, 8th, Sunday, August 8th at the Crown Plaza in Concord. 2021, right? Um, what? 2021? 2021. What did I say? 2020. 2020. No, yeah, 2021. Yeah, yeah this is 2020. <laughs> Yeah, we're, we all know we're gonna this do this year's show next year <laughs> right yeah why not yeah 
And uh, next year's show will be all about the birth of the Universal Monsters. Oh, hey, right? it fits because right in. in. 2021, it's 90 years awesome. since 1931, which is when, of course, Dracula and Frankenstein were first released and kicked off the entire Universal cycle. And, right, we'll have um, to do this episode over next year then. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and um, our very special guest will be David J. Scal. Oh, yeah. Who, uh, did all the, uh, there you go, holding up a book. Uh, yeah, I yeah, love the, the Monster, monster show, show. The Monster Show, A Cultural History of Horror. Uh, he also did all of the, uh, he did documentaries and some uh, commentaries for all the official Universal Monster releases. Uh, he's got a film coming out called, or actually, no, he's got a book. I think it's, yeah, currently out called um, Death Makes a Holiday. It's a cultural history of Halloween and Ooh. various other various other things that he's done so he's going to be our very special guest next year and oh, that'll uh, be great yeah yeah you can check all that out at creaturescon.com and uh yeah other than that other than just keeping the show going and uh, getting ready for the convention check out my website check out the facebook page and uh a few things will be coming up for the halloween season definitely very cool looking very very forward actually to all that good stuff coming out thank, thank from you lord Bloodraw. Thanks again for being on the show. We look oh. forward to having you on real soon. Always thrilled to be here. Keep up the mayhem and the mahabre. Got it. The, ma- <laughs> the mahabre. Mahabre. That's the Spanish <laughs> version. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> mahabre. I like that. <laughs> and thank you for the epiphany on Rory uh, Kinnear. <laughs> yes. I'm going to have to find that uh, TV show now and... and watch it myself that was great blew my mind that was beautiful (laughs) very good great if I can just put in one final plug at the end of the show here yes Yes, sir this episode will run on August 22nd I believe so you should be able to it will already be out you should be able to go and buy the Arrow Gamera box set and uh, this is like all the Gamera films on Blu-ray the 390s films which I think are like the pinnacle of Kaiju are going to be in 4K and a ton of extras and I've mentioned on the show before but Keith Aiken and I we do Sci-Fi Japan we do the audio commentary on the last film Gamera the Brave so go and buy it it's expensive but worth it check it out (laughs) very cool awesome all right On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet 8. We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planet8podcast.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic. For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet8Cast or on Facebook at facebook.com slash planet8podcast. We want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode. We look forward to your input and opinions. Until next time, this is Planet 8 signing off. End transmission. By George, he's got it. It is the end.
so until we meet again. May all your nightmares have happy endings in the final reel. Good night and sleep well. Thank you.